Can you hear me? Hey, I literally have a kitchen timer on my uh, desk here. Um, good morning. It's uh, I'm pulling a dawn this morning and not wearing my shoes, um, which I had an argument with myself. I'm not going to do something crazy like that because people should wear shoes. And then I, gosh, can I just don't feel like I almost feel like I don't need to say anything. I just feel like this is holy ground. Um, so I just, I, I'm, I am going to say some stuff, though. Um, my, I'm gonna, I, I worked a lot. I'm going to say, I think God has some things for us. But I want to sit, I just want to take a minute for silence for us. And um, I know we did just have a time of prayer, but just to reflect on our own hearts, um, invite the Holy Spirit to speak. Um, and to give me, and maybe would you also pray that you'd give me grace? Because <laughs> I will probably sniffle the whole time I'm talking. Um, but yeah, let's just sit in silence and then I'll open us up in prayer and we'll just jump in if that's okay. <laughs> God, we invite you. You don't need our invitation, but you invite us to invite you. We invite you into this place, God. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would keep the raging storm at bay outside of this building and even in our own hearts. That we would see that we would see that your yoke, Jesus, is easy. Your burden is light. Pray that we would follow you because you are gentle, you are lowly in heart, you love us. God, I, I just pray that, yeah, that we would just hear your word and that you would speak. And um, Lord, if you're when you're speaking to me, speaking to us, God, I just pray that we would listen. We love you, Jesus. And we pray things in your name. Amen. Um, so, uh, I, when Mark asked me, Mark asked me last week if I would preach while, so he could go out of town and then Scott's also out of town. So this is like a free for all, I feel like, um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but he asked me to, to speak on this and he said, Hey, we're at the, Oh, haha, Kidmo. I was like, what's this sign? Kidmo can go. <laughs> that was so great. That was so awesome. I was like totally ignoring her. <laughs> They're like gone. They run so fast. It almost is offensive. I, it's not. It's not. It's really fun in there, and I'm so glad that our kids have get to enjoy that. Um, and thank you for the people that are working with them and, and serving in kids today. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, we're going to talk about the golden rule today, and I was super excited about this. I still am, but man, God has dealt with me this week on this. Uh, <laughs> thank goodness, right? I, I would much rather that be the case. I was woken up in the middle of the night last night and just my heart was just hurting for those of us that are hurting. Um, and so I just, yeah, I'm here with you. And this is, 
I probably now that I probably will cry through this whole thing now that I'm thinking about it. I was hoping that wouldn't happen, but oh well. Case for all, right? Um, so we've been in the Sermon on the Mount forever. I mean, I can't remember a time when we weren't in the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> um, but we've been breaking it down kind of piece by piece. Um, and, uh, you know, we've talked about um, the, the Beatitudes and this, this idea that blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness because the kingdom is here. Blessed are the persecuted. Um, and then we talked about, you know, you, when Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I'm telling you. God, you know, we talked about lust and how God cares about our hearts and how um, we, we, don't take, we don't take oaths in God's name to use God's name for our own agenda. Um, and we've got some really great stuff. And if you haven't heard all the messages, like, go back and listen to them because there's some really incredible um, just unpacking of those passages. Um, so yeah, it's 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 interesting. We're at the we're now at the the golden rule. So that's verse seven or chapter seven, verse twelve in Matthew. Um, but I want to give a little bit more background. I'm like a total nerd up here, so like this is my sweet spot. So like it just I will be nerding out and just ignore me. Don't ignore me actually, but um, I just uh, I want I, I don't want to feel. In one sense, I feel very prepared because I've been diving into this. But in another very real sense, I do not feel prepared to be here in front of you. So, um, But I am, I am a nerd, so I can at least rely on that. So the book of Matthew, um, just a couple things about that. So Matthew's talking to a Jewish audience specifically. He's speaking into that space. Um, so you're going to see in that whole book, Lots of references to prophecy of Old Testament. Lots of names like Son of David. He keeps calling Jesus the Son of David. And there's also this back and forth between um, these uh, the narratives of Jesus as his miracles, his uh, healings, the powerful things he's done, and then these discourses where he's telling. So the words of Jesus and the, the works of Jesus are kind of going back, kind of like ocean waves in this whole book. So when we get to the Sermon on the Mount, it's the first of those discourses. And it's right after Jesus is preparing for the ministry, and he's called a couple of disciples, and he's about to, and then it's going to be, right after that, it's going to be more healing. So you get this back and forth. So rhythms are rhythms are really interesting to pay attention to in the Bible, and that's just one of the reasons I want to point that out. Um, the Sermon on the Mount specifically, Mark has talked about this a little bit. So the Sermon on the Mount, this discourse, is Jesus as a rabbi presenting his teachings to his disciples, the teachings that he would have his disciples follow, so his yoke. Um, he's presenting his yoke. His audience, um, sorry if I'm a little peaky on my um, microphone, but uh, yeah, his audience is a mixed bag. So right before the, the sermon starts, you have um, Jesus walks up, he sees the crowds, and then he walks up on this hill, and his disciples gather around him. But the crowds, at the end of the sermon, the crowds are talking about how amazing his teaching was. So you get the impression then that all of these people are listening in. So you've got some of the disciples that, that Jesus has called, um, like Andrew, Peter, James, and John, some disciples that he hasn't called. Is that me? Is there something I could do? Am I messing that up? Okay, sorry. I just, I told her I wasn't going to get louder than this, and I probably am. Um, so even Matthew, who's the, who wrote the book, um, hasn't even been called at this point. He's called uh, later. At least he writes that he's called later. So not only that, but you've got the crowds that are listening in. Uh, which is a variety of people, including Pharisees and religious leaders, uh, which is significant, especially when, after this passage that we're going to talk about today, when he starts calling out false teachers. 
So it's an interesting dynamic. And if you look at the Sermon on the Mount as both a teaching on discipleship and evangelistic, it's really interesting. Um, yeah, so then we then we jump up into the, the golden rule, which is Matthew 7, 12. And that itself is nestled between what Mark talked about last week, that ask, seek, knock passage, ask and it will be, ask and you will receive um, that passage. And then it's right after that is Jesus talking about enter through the narrow gate, the narrow and the wide gate, like Rick read earlier. Um, what's interesting to me, one of the first things that I found interesting about this was how different translations put the golden rule in different, not order, but connect it to different parts. Um, you know, in English translations, we have these little headings on our on our Bible. That's like, you know, this was all one sermon, so that wasn't there. But in some translations, the golden rule gets put up there with the Asik Nak, and some translations it gets put with the narrow gate, and sometimes it just stands alone. So depending on what translation you're reading, you, you can get the impression, a different impression of the golden rule and what it's actually saying. Um, so for for our sake, we're gonna I'm gonna look at all of it. <laughs> Might as well, right? Um, because it's fun, right? I think it's fun, but I'm a nerd, so I've already said that. Uh, <laughs> so um, yeah. Oh, also Mark has mentioned this several times, and I think it's really, really, really important for this particular verse. Um, he's mentioned the lullaby, the lullaby effect. So this idea that once you've heard something lots and lots of times, you kind of go, "Yep, got it." I, that's I'm good. I know that. I said it in Sunday school, um, or like I sang it at a VBS, which I was singing a, a VBS song last night. Couldn't get out of my head because I'm like, I know that verse now. But anyway, that's that's beside the point. But anyway, the golden rule in particular is very likely to be to fall prey to that. So it's really important that we stay sharp on this on this verse because it's really well known, even by people that don't follow Jesus, especially. Um, kind of like that don't judge passage too. But um, So let's act, let's jump in, okay? Um, we got verse 12 on the slide just by itself. The um, Yeah, so whatever you wish, good. Um, okay, so Matthew 7, 12, this is the word of the Lord. Whatever, it says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Um, the first thing we have to notice is the word so. Anytime you see a connecting word in scripture, you have to pay attention. Uh, the word so means something before that was important. Um, so we have to go backwards when we see that word. I think, you, I mean, I almost could preach an entire thing on this one word, but I won't. I have heard people do that, and it's kind of obnoxious. Um, but it works. There's a lot of stuff there, so um, we have to go backwards. Uh, these are the jokes, people. This is all I got. Um I don't have much else. I need the feedback, apparently. Uh, so Jesus, you have to go backwards, first at least, um, to the ask, seek, knock passage. We have to at least go back that far. So I just like want to look at that real quick. So this is from 7, verses 7 through 11. Um, and it says, ask, yep, ooh, that's, sorry if that's too small. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks him finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. For which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? And I'm going to keep going and say, So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. 
for this is the law and the prophets, right? It kind of does sound like a whole idea. But we also probably ought to consider that we need to go back to the whole Sermon on the Mount. Why? One, Jesus, we know Jesus has been explaining his joke. He's been giving his teachings. These are my teachings um, that he would have his disciples follow. And then at the end of the, but then at the end of the golden rule, at the end of this verse, he says this kind of sum up statement for this is the law and the prophets. That's a real big sum up statement. Um, so is he saying, is he saying that this golden rule is the law and the prophets? Yes. But has he not also been teaching on the law and the prophets? So this entire sermon is wrapped up in this sentence. So not only is it he's wrapping up his sermon, but he's wrapping it up through the lens of the whatever you wish others would do to you, do to them, right? So the golden rule itself is the law and the prophets, and everything that Jesus has said can be looked through that lens. Does that make sense? Tracking? Okay. I didn't actually give you a chance to answer. We're just going to keep going. Um, and then after that, after this statement, this is another reason we can see this as a sum up, um, like Jesus will go on to do and an, have an invitation of the, about the narrow gate. And then he'll go, after he talks about that, which I'll get to that in a second, he'll go and talk about the false teachers and looking at their fruit. And then he'll say things like, wise is the builder who, uh, those who listen to my words are wise like people who build their houses on a rock. So he's actually just like tying it up. Like, here's my, here's my teachings. Be careful. There are people who are going to say something different. You're wise to listen to what I just said. So <laughs> technically, I'm finishing the Sermon on the Mount, technically, <laughs> but not quite, because there's some really great stuff that I that Mark is going to get to next week and, and everything. But yeah, this is the this is Jesus's yoke. I'm con we're concluding that in this in this one verse. Um, man, I I could talk about that for a long time, obviously. Um, so let's actually look at the the sentence itself. Um, we can pull that. Back. Can we pull that back up just as a reference? Um, just that first slide, the so whatever you wish, yeah. Um, so one of the things I want to point out is in this verse is to look at the order. So when we hear, when people talk about the golden rule, what do, what do you usually hear people say? Do unto others as you would do unto you. Whoever speaks like that, by the way, nobody. Um, but it's this kind of colloquial, like, um, like thing that people just say. So it says, do unto others as people would do under you, unto you, which is not a it's not a false translation. It's a it's an, a proper interpretation of that. But I want to consider in the Greek, and the ESB does this a little bit. In the Greek, the order is a little bit different, and it says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So this word wish is it's not just what you want. Done. It's not a surface level thing. It's like a gut level desire. Like, what do you wish people would do? What kind of world do you wish you lived in? Don't you wish that was the reality? Do that to people. Kind of like starting with the man in the mirror. You know, anybody that got, thank you, I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> but Jesus goes further, and he gives us a why. Why he why he talks about this? He says. Again, those connecting words, for, this is the law and the prophets. We want to pay attention to that. Where The law and the prophets, where else was, does Jesus say that? Um, the first most important place uh, is the, when he talks about the greatest commandment. 
Um, so that's Matthew 22. And I'm just going to read that. Actually, I'm going to take a little, give us a chance to settle for a second. He says, when the, this is the story. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer or a scribe in other um, gospels, asked him a question to test him. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Some other verses say strength there. But, and well, That's not a super big deal, but um, I just think it's interesting. Um, this is the first and greatest commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus directly quoting two passages, which y'all probably know. So Deuteronomy 6, he's quoting Deuteronomy 6 first, um, and I'm just going to read that verbatim too, because it's, yeah, you'll see where how similar it is. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Um, now, some of that might, strength, so some verses, some gospels say strength, some say mind, some say neither, some say both. It's a little confusing. But that has a lot more to do with, like, where the, the center of the Jewish understanding of the will was. Um, the big point is that it's everything, right, all of you. Um, I don't like just saying love God, love people. I think that's true, but I think it's really important that we see this every facet that you can imagine Whatever that breaks down to, love God with all of that and that and that and that. So all of your strength, all of your mind, all of your will. Anyway, I'm over, overdoing it. But he's also quoting from Leviticus 19, which says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I love that. Like, I'm the Lord. Like, I'm warning you. Um, so. The whole law and the prophets are summed up in this, which is what the golden rule is talking about, is what verse 12 is talking about. But Jesus also says this phrase when he's talking about himself being the fulfillment of this, um, of the law and the prophets. Uh, when he's talking to, um, he's talking to the disciples after the resurrection Oh wait, actually, let me back up just a tiny bit. He says it. He actually just said it in verse in chapter five in the Sermon on the Mount that he was the fulfillment. Um, he says, "Do not think that I have come, yeah. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota. So that's like a little tiny mark on it, like the eye, the dot of the eye. Uh, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So Jesus just said this." He's the fulfillment of the Law and the Prophets. And then he talks about this being the sum of the Law and the Prophets. But then when he is when he rises again and he goes and he sees the disciples after the road to Emmaus, he's appearing to them and they're, you know, wigging because it's like pretty crazy and incredible. And he says to them, these are the, in Luke 24, he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the Law and the Prophets, in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Does not only himself, his perfect life, but his death and the resurrection. All the stuff was, I've been, I told you all this stuff, and it's fulfilled in me. But here's also proof of me on the earth here. Um, yeah, 
So Jesus is the fulfillment of that, but not he didn't just say that he was. Obviously, he proved that in the resurrection, but he does the same thing with the disciples. He says a very similar kind of parallel when he's washing the disciples' feet, right? So, so Peter's so funny. He's like, don't wash my feet. And Jesus is like, or you're not going to wash my feet. He's like, if, I, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part with me. And he's like, well, then wash my head and my hands also. Total flip. But um, then Jesus washes their feet, and he says to them, uh, well, in John 13, when he washed their feet, uh, he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, I am. And if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so you also ought to wash one another's feet. I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Which is an interesting turn of phrase because in the Sermon on the Mount, he says the same, he'll say the same thing when he's talking about the wise and foolish builder. Blessed are you if you do these things. Um, happy are you. Better off are you. We talked about the attitudes, right? Like, blessed are you if you do them. It's not easy. Um, so I actually want to stop for a second for myself and for us just to reflect and think about this. I'll be honest, this is the part that I don't that I feel like God is most intent on, and I am the most uncomfortable and unsure about what's gonna about to happen. Not that it's don't get freaked out by that, but I just don't totally have the words. I know that when I was reading this passage, and I was doing kind of a slow reading or lectio divina, I don't know if you're familiar with with that as a slower reading of scripture, where you stop at every word that kind of catches you and you just reflect on it. I was reading this whole passage starting in verse 7 and I got to the I got to the word ask which is the first word and I couldn't move on because for some reason that word was just terrifying to me and I I feel like I'm not alone in that probably um because if you've if you've been experiencing asking you think you've been asking, you've been seeking, you think you've been knocking. It feels like the door's not opening or or maybe God's not even there. I don't know. I don't want to give too much into that. But um, this whole what you wish God would do or what you wish others would do, you have to be under, we have to be able to understand what is it you want? What is it you want to do? What What people to do to you? It's really hard to love people when you can't receive that love. If your God is stingy, You'll be stingy. If your God is a withholder or someone who his gifts are with, come with strings, I mean, have you ever met somebody like that? That's like, oh, I'll offer you this thing, but you'll. Be, I tell other people I know that I'm like, don't ever owe that guy anything because you'll spend way more time paying it back. If that's God, what does that say? What does loving Him with all of your heart and your mind look like? And what does loving your neighbor as yourself look like? How are you supposed to do unto others if? You know, this isn't about reciprocation. It's not about loving people so they'll love you. But if, you, if you're misunderstanding the giving that God gives, the gifts that God gives, it's going to affect what you give to others. So I don't know. That's a big, maybe a big statement. Um, one way to get out from under 
And Jesus presented this really tough yoke. We can't move on until we sit in, in this for a second. Um, but one of the ways to get out, wiggle out from under Jesus' yoke is to completely numb yourself right now. Because it's way too scary to hope. I know what it's like to be afraid to hope anymore. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. So I just, I just want us to take a minute and just deal with whatever God's telling us to deal with. I have no idea what that is. I know what it is for me. Sort of, I think. I'm not even sure. Um, so can we do that? Can we just take like maybe maybe even just two full minutes? And I know it might be uncomfortable in silence, but I just feel like we owe ourselves that before we move into the next piece. Um, so if you want to close your eyes, that's fine. Um, but yeah, I'll I'll move. I'll let you know when it's time to move on. But just deal with what God's dealing with you in this moment. There's a gift in this silence, even if it's uncomfortable. I just invite you as you continue in your journey with the Lord, don't waste silence. Invite, Jesus is asking you to invite him into that silence and to, to take that time because that's when that stuff, I know why we run away from silence. I know why I run away from silence is because I'm terrified of the, like, slamming a van, the brakes on the van, when all the stuff comes and hits you in the back of the head, that's what that feels like sometimes. And so it's okay if that's how it felt. Um, but you got that stuff's still in there. you got to deal with it. Anyway, um, so unless we deal with the weight of this yoke that Jesus is putting out, um, it, well, when we deal with the weight of it, the next thing that Jesus says makes so much sense. So if he's concluded, like, this is my yoke, I imagine that Jesus actually had this, like, pause there, and let it sink in. I don't know. It wasn't there. But I'd like to think that he had this pause and then just says this in Matthew 13, 7:13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide that leads, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it, enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So Jesus extends this invitation to enter, but he doesn't mince words about the cost. Um, So let's start with the way to life. Let's look at this narrow and hard way. Um, I think the wide, easy path is a little 
We don't need to spend too much time there because we don't want to go that direction. <laughs> so if we want to go the, the path that leads to life, let's look at the narrow, um, let's look at the narrow gate, narrow and wide gate first. So um, the way to this way to life is narrow. It's actually it's so narrow that how narrow is it? It's so narrow that I've made that joke in my head so many times. And I told myself I wouldn't do that kind of stuff today. But um, it's so narrow that only one man can fit through it. Jesus calls himself the gate. John 10 says, therefore, Jesus said again, truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the gate for the sheep. I'm the sheep gate. I got real southern then. Sorry. I don't know what happened. Um, I'm the sheep gate. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Then they will come and come in and go out and find pasture. What does the thief do? The thief comes only to steal, steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So Jesus himself is the gate. So when the door, so when a person, imagine a door. When a person stands in a door, in a doorway, they both become the door itself, the human door, and the doorway, the way through the door. Because you can't get past, unless you get past them, you're not getting in that door. So Jesus is both the door and the way through that door, which some of y'all may know where I'm going with this. Jesus calls himself this way. He is the way. We were just singing that. You are the way when there seems to be no way. Josh didn't, by the way, Josh didn't even know I was preaching. So like he had no, we had no communication about music and this. So, so like this is just like the Holy Spirit doing His work. But um, so which I'm thankful for that. Um, so yeah, Jesus calls Himself the way. So He's talking. You know, he's He's risen. Uh, he's having this conversation with His disciples, and um, He says, "I'm laughing because I just have such a heart for Thomas when what's about to happen." So in John 14, He says, "Don't let your hearts be troubled." You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. Y'all, this is my absolute favorite thing. My house has, my Father's house has many rooms. Not, I didn't mean to get caught up in this, but not, we're not like getting our own little mansion. We're going to be in the same house, y'all. Ken, we are going to hang, bro. Like right down the hall. My house has many rooms. Um, if it weren't so, wouldn't I have told you? Um, Anyway, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, won't I come back and take you with me so that you may be where I am? And he says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And then Thomas, which I imagine is like, I just feel like this is a panic question. Like, you're, you just left us. You're about to leave us again. Um, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? I just imagine Jesus being like, Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. I, I'm the way. And then he says, if you really know me, if you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him, because you've seen me. You've seen Jesus. I'm the way. Um, and I, just as a sidebar for Thomas, if Thomas hadn't asked that panicky question, we would never know that Jesus said he was the way and the truth and the life. It's almost like asking questions is okay. Anyway, whatever. I was snapping for myself. That's kind of arrogant. Um, <laughs> so, oh well, that's what we are. Um, oh, 
I mean, it's where we are. Yikes. Um, anyway, so this narrow way, again, so it's, it's the way is narrow, but it's also it says this narrow way is hard. It is hard, but it's not the hard that you think. So when I was looking at this, I saw in, in, in my Bible, the way is hard that leads to life. I was like, hard? This is Jesus presenting his yoke, right? So he's saying that the way is hard, but then like later he's like, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, but it's hard. And so I was like really upset and confused by that. Um, so then I did, I nerded out and I did what I did. And I looked at like every translation I could find. Thankful for the Bible app for this because I don't own all these translations. So I looked at all the different translations of what they say about this particular verse. And you can put that slide up. So the ESV says the way, the gate is narrow and the way is hard. The NIV says it says small and narrow. The Amplified Version says it's a small gate, narrow and difficult to travel is the path. NASB says the gate is narrow and the way is constricted. Huh, exactly. Um, the ASB, I'm laughing about something that I'll, you'll laugh with me in a second, but um, the ASB says it's narrow and the gate is straight, the straightened is the way. Wait a minute. Um, and then Young's literal translation, which is, I had to go to because I'm like, I need the literal. The straight is the gate, compresses the way. So you know that phrase, straight and narrow? Like, be straight and narrow. I have, some of you might be smarter than me. I have always just thought that was about keeping your nose clean, not stepping a toe out of line. Um, you know, straight and narrow. That's not the same straight. There are two different straights. I, like, didn't ever pay attention to that. Um, this is, this word straight here, I thought, I'm so arrogant, I thought that they misspelled it in the Bible. <laughs> Check yourself or you wreck yourself. Um, but it's straight like a narrow entry, like Straits of Gibraltar. So it's this idea of, anyway, I'll get to that in a second. So I had to go to the Greek because I was like, okay, I'm so confused. So the word, I'm so proud of myself that I have a Greek word in my slides, um, so the word uh, here for hard is teslamine, um, and it could mean uh, difficult uh, and hard. It, it kind of has that connotation. It's the only time this is used in the Bible, so it's kind of like, what are you going to do with it a little bit? Um, but it also could mean, and more accurately probably, to make narrow strictly by pressure, uh, to press upon, Kind of like, or like compressed, this idea of compression, squeezing, constriction. So the entering of this narrow gate is more like the idea of somebody or something forcefully passing through a small opening and undergoing pressure and pushing to come out on the other side into life. Now, what does that sound like to you, moms? Sounds like childbirth to me. Uh, so then you then you think about well Jesus says to Nicodemus there's that whole thing that that whole like conversation that Nicodemus comes in the night and he's like talking to him and he says Jesus says to him I tell you the truth nobody can come to the kingdom unless of God unless they're born again and Nicodemus is like how are you supposed to be born again it's so funny because I feel like with we have the advantage of this passage but he didn't it's like how you can you re-enter the womb no Jesus like, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, and the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And you shouldn't be surprised at this. You must be born again. And he goes on, and he ends up talking about how, like, he is 
just like the serpent is lifted up, that Moses lifts up the serpent, people looked on the serpent in the desert and were saved. Jesus is that lift, the Son of Man must be lifted up. So he's talking about himself in that. But this this born again language, um, first of all, well, side note, I guess. This is a little bit of a, an obsession of mine, but birth language is all over Scripture. It's all over Scripture. Um, think about that. The womb and the tomb are very closely linked. Jesus, even, and I will say this one thing, and then I'll move on. But Jesus is born, comes out of the tomb into a garden. Lots of life, lots of birth imagery there. It's not what we think of as a tomb. It's a. He comes in. She thinks Mary thinks he's a gardener. He's in a garden. So this life starts in a garden. It ends in a garden. And Jesus comes out into this garden, and that's this new life. So this way to life then, um, sorry, 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 sorry. I can't see through the, the lights peering through my page. So we think about birth. It comes through discomfort, and I need to keep trekking along here, but um, it comes through discomfort and pressure. <laughs> that's a nice way of saying it, right? Um, it's painful, both for the mother, and thank goodness we can't remember our own birth, because I imagine that would be a traumatic also very confusing. Uh, like, there's a lot. Did you ever see Look Who's Talking? I think that's not the greatest movie, kids. But um, not 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 a child's movie, but which I watched as a kid and shouldn't have. But uh, the whole, like, conversation he's having in the womb, like, what's going on? Like, that's what I'm really glad that we aren't aware of that. Um, but it's this, the, the birth process is necessary. It's necessary, that pressure, that pain, that... Uh, it's not necessarily traumatic, but that that pushing through, climbing through whatever, um, is really important for a child's bonding and development. In fact, you know, I'm, I was a C-section, so I didn't get that. But that's that's the thing with C-section babies is you have to hold them more. You have to connect more to them because they didn't get that that pressure, that squeezing through. Um, for those of you that are uncomfortable with birth, I'm real sorry. Not sorry, but uh, like get comfortable because it's like literally every human being. But whatever. Um, Sorry, I am sorry for the arrogance of that. But anyway, uh, it's that pushing through is necessary. It's kind of like that. I, I don't know if you ever heard like with a butterfly how if you cut a butterfly out of the cocoon before it's worked its way out, it'll it'll kill it. It'll it won't have the opportunity to like wrestle through that uh, chrysalis experience. Like we need that into life. It's not just destructive pressure. So that hardship is not to destroy us, but to refine us and lead us to life. And even though there's very real opposition, and some of that is destructive, there is the, the enemy wants to kill us and steal everything from us. He doesn't just want to irritate us and like make us have to wait in red lights. He wants you to die. Because he hates you. And he will oppose you. But God is bigger than the enemy. Not even like equal, but massively, massively, massively bigger. Amen? Um, so that's where you get, it's kind of a root word with this 2 Corinthians. In, four, in 2 Corinthians 4.8, it says, we are, we are pressed, but not crushed. Persecuted, not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. God is bigger. Amen? Um, I need to move on. I'm getting excited. But um, So then, okay, so narrow, hard way. And then it says, few are those who find it. And the few that find it, this, this path that leads to life, are those who see Jesus for who he really is. Um, 
So let's look at look at Matthew 13 when Jesus tells this parable about the kingdom. It says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it and covered it up, then in his joy he goes and sells all he has, and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all he had and bought it. So the man in the field stumbled upon the treasure. He just walked along and found it. But he saw it, and he covered it up, and he went and sold everything he had. The man looking for pearls was actively searching, actively searching, becoming an expert in it. And so when he saw the pearl of great price, he saw its value and sold everything. Both of them saw the value, is my point. They saw the value of who Jesus really is, and they were willing to do whatever it took to have it. In that case, they were willing to sell all their possessions. They were willing to do anything. They would have done, if it required something else, they would have done that too. Here's the thing. Jesus is not tricking us with parables. He's not tricking us with this yoke. He's giving us an opportunity to see it for what it really is. But the reality is, is there are absolutely facsimiles and forgeries out there. Um, every tech thing wants to look like Apple, right? Uh, every tech thing is not Apple, as I discovered with the thing I had to send back to Amazon because it was a piece of junk. And I should, people, the reviews said not to do it, and I did it anyway. And then I went and looked at reviews and then discovered this little tricky thing that I'm, it's Amazon's fault. I don't even know who'd be mad at about this, but where you look at the reviews and you go, and it's like, you're not even reviewing the product that's listed. It's like for a t-shirt. Of course you have five-star reviews. It's not that thing. Anyway, I got real mad about that. Felt very like there ought to be a law, you know, indignation. Um, so the many, the many will say, this is good enough. Ah, this is, this, yeah, just be nice. Just be polite. That's good enough. They don't want to do the work. Sometimes it's work. They don't want to give up something. We don't. We tend to. We can fall into the category of the many, a lot of times. But the many say that's good enough. There's lots of options for the many, but for the few that want to find the path to life, it's narrow, constricting, a wee bit hard. But for those who keep seeking and searching. And knocking. Um, I want to actually read the complete Jewish Bible translation of the this passage in uh, chapter seven. The way they put it is keep, and in the Greek it actually does it does work as like this active continuing thing. It says keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep seeking and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who keeps asking receives, he who keeps seeking finds, and him who keeps knocking the door will be opened. And then later in verse 11, if you, though you're bad, know how to give your children good gifts, how much more will your Father in heaven keep giving good things to those who ask him? This is why I didn't want to talk about this, because I know that asking is hard, but what I know is more frightening is when we stop asking. An infant who stops crying when they need something is maldeveloped. See that in foster care and in orphanages? Baby will just sit, be hungry in their own filth. They've learned that nobody's coming. So why ask? The child that won't ask 
their parent for what they need, even if what they need is dumb or like sugar, <laughs> usually sugar, um, if they've learned to stop asking, then that's a bad sign. That's not a good sign for that relationship. An adult child who's like, I, man, I just can't ask my dad anything. Every time I do, he just criticizes me. Can't ask him for advice. It's not a good sign for that relationship. A good sign is that you keep asking. Even Thomas kept asking. Um, and that's that's how you see that that God that keeps giving. But um, here's the invitation. The invitation from Jesus is that we enter by the narrow gate. Can't take it with you, <laughs> literally. Um, another kind of colloquial thing. But there's some stuff that just won't fit through the door, and that's not just stuff. That might be accolades and esteem and fame or whatever. There's just stuff that won't fit through the door. Um, Hebrews 12 tells us to cast aside everything that encumbers us um, so that we can run this good race and follow Jesus. Um, I think it makes me think about the rich young ruler uh, who, you, he, he, in the, the account in Mark, he rushes to Jesus and clings to him and says desperately, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him the law. And he says, I've kept this since I was a boy. And then Jesus looks on him and loves him and says, one thing you lack, sell everything you've got, give it to the poor, follow me. And he says he went away sad. He didn't go away mad. He didn't go away telling Jesus he was a false teacher, right? Because somebody that's like refusing to do what you're going to tell them, like just says, calls you a, a dummy and moves on. He's sad because he's considering it. And he, I think he's sad because he actually knows Jesus is right. So whatever that encumbrance is, when we're faced with it, yeah, the yoke is hard. It's hard to, for the standard to be, <laughs> don't. Uh, judge others for the measure that you judge them, that'll be judged. You'll be judged. When the standard is, don't even hate your brother in your heart, in traffic or wherever. That's hard. When it's like, oh, but I kind of like it. I kind of like judging people. I kind of like looking at people on the internet with their clothes off. Come on, somebody. It's an encumbrance. It leads to death. But when we release, when we allow Jesus to release ourselves from our encumbrances, when we unencumber ourselves and accept that invitation to the narrow gate, then in, in that way, then his yoke is easy and light in, in its sense. In that sense, it's both. It is both hard and easy. So this is where this is what Peter is in that space. When Jesus tells this to the rich young ruler, he's watching this unfold. And what does Peter say? I imagine he's, everybody in the Bible, I feel like, is always yelling in my mind, like panicking, because I'm always panicking, so maybe that's it. But I feel like Jesus is panicking, and he goes, says, Peter spoke up. This is in, in chapter, in Mark 10. He says, we've left everything to follow you. I feel like Peter's so upset at the crucifixion, because, boy, you want to talk about a hope being dashed? We gave everything up, and then you died anyway. This is before that happens. We've left everything to follow you. And Jesus says, truly I tell you, no one, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and for the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times 
as much in the present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last. Many will enter this wide gate that leads to destruction. Few will enter this narrow gate that leads to life. And I have this sneaking suspicion that we will that nobody will get through that gate unscathed. I used to think when I was in middle school, I went to a uh, like we went spelunking. Has anybody ever been spelunking? It's a horrible, horrible idea. Um, I there's a point. I mean, I was I loved it up until this point. There's a point where they say uh, we're going to go through. They literally called it the birth canal, where you squeeze through this tiny little part of the rock, and that's part of the fun, I guess. I I was like this. Are you trying? This is like how you kill middle schoolers. Is what I was thinking, um, which is clever if that's your game. But um, they, one of the things that they said though was try not to panic when you're in there uh, because if you panic, your body will swell up and you'll get stuck. Do not tell somebody with anxiety that or anybody ever because that's the whole time I was like, oh, I can't. If I get nervous, then I'll definitely die here. So anyway. It was it was a horrible experience at the time. But what I remember was at the end, all of our we were all like gathered outside and we were that's the muddiest I've ever been in my life. Just covered head to toe. And every single person was just grinning ear to ear. Like we went through this incredibly difficult thing. And it might be battle. I mean, life is hard, y'all. You know that. It's a battle. That road to life, it starts now. It's not not just eternity, it's, but we will enter into that having you know, that Shawshank Redemption. He climbed through miles of sewer to come out clean on the other end. That's the kind of level that we're talking about. That's not a direct quote, by the way. Some of y'all know that. Um, I want to close with just this. this is, I want to go back to the beginning of, of Jesus' sermons and just say this kind of as a blessing and a prayer. Um, I just want to read the Beatitudes over us. Um, Just as an invitation for us to receive that these things, we are better off in these scenarios. Blessed, better off are you when you're poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who mourn and when you mourn, for you'll be comforted. Blessed are you when you're meek, for you'll inherit the earth. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be filled. Blessed are you merciful, for you will be shown mercy. Blessed are you pure in heart. See the purity in the world and see God's purity in that. For you will see God. For the pure, all things are pure, right? Blessed are you who make peace, you peacemakers, justice seekers. For you will be called children of God. Blessed are you who are persecuted because of righteousness, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you falsely, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, because of Jesus. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets and Jesus before you. Can we pray? Lord Jesus, I do pray for... Um, us to see this particular type of blessing um, and for us to see
see that the narrow way is good and it's a gift. But Lord, we, we need to see you. We need to know that you are also there, that you are also, um, that you're asking us to ask you, God. We, we want to receive the invitation to invite you into the, the most intense places of our heart, the most intense places of, of asking and want and desire. And God, we want to, we want to understand that you are the giver of good gifts so that we can love our neighbor as ourselves, so that we can do to others what we wish was done to us, even when it's not being done, even when the exact opposite is happening, that we could do, still continue to do, to wash disciples' feet. Jesus, you washed Peter's feet and you washed Judas's feet and you knew what they would both do to you. And you, you did it anyway. Lord, I pray that we could somehow embrace that, Lord, and there's a lot to that. But God, I just pray that you would show us the narrow way, that we would take heart, not lose courage uh, to keep asking. Because we know you're, you're a provider. We know that you're good. And God, if you're, when you're testing us in that, you're proving, helping us prove to ourselves that we believe that, God, I pray that we would embrace that too. Lord, as we prepare to take our offering, God, I just pray that the act of giving our financial wealth, our financial self, um, would be an act of worship. Not an act of, I have no game in this to ask this, God, but it is good for us to give even out of our poverty. Lord, forgive me for being a hypocrite in that. Lord, I just pray that as we uh, sing about you, Jaira, who is the provider, that we would also welcome the opportunity to give out of an abundance that you've given us through who you are. Um, so with us, Lord, we love you so much and pray these things in your name. Amen. And we will be passing, somebody will be, I don't know, passing this uh, offering basket. So if you have um, offering, uh, you can do that. Um, but will you stand with us also as we... Oh.